Set yourself a New Year goal, they said. It'll be fun. <sighs> Perhaps swimming in the Irish Sea wasn't such a good idea. Set a more achievable goal, like taking control of your finances with personalised money insights in the Bank of Ireland app. It'll help keep track of your spending, like changes to bills, or you might have too many subscriptions. See your tailored money insights, because your financial well-being is our priority. Bank of Ireland. Begin. Bank of Ireland is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Terms and conditions apply. Great. There goes my towel. The Left Wing, brought to you by Bank of Ireland, a proud sponsor of Irish Rugby. Never stop competing. The Six Nations on the Left Wing Podcast. These are truly special times for Irish rugby and I don't think we should lose sight of that. It's not always going to be like this. You know, the World Cup is coming and who knows what's going to happen there. So I think... We like supporters, media, the players, like everyone should kind of cherish these times. The weighty teams are still the ones that will cause Ireland the most trouble, I think, as seen by that England pack, cause Ireland a little bit of trouble for that first 50, 60 minutes, I think. Uh, That, to my mind, is still the blueprint of how you play Ireland. You're stingy defensively in the tight parts of the pitch and you really go after them at set piece. Ireland are Grand Slam champions for just the fourth time ever after beating England at the Aviva Stadium last Saturday. Five wins out of five means that Johnny Sexton signs off his Six Nations career with one more title. And on tonight's episode of The Left Wing, we will look back on all the events from the weekend as well as the campaign as a whole. Will Slattery here with you. I'm delighted to be joined in studio by Luke Fitzgerald and Keen Tracy. And lads, what a weekend it was. Another Grand Slam. And Luke, you know, as a Grand Slam winner yourself, like what were your emotions on Saturday when a new generation of Irish players got to experience that feeling? Yeah, I was really pleased with them, I think. Uh, a nice little feather in the cap to have done it at home as well. I think they would have really enjoyed that. You could see that from all the crowds that hung around afterwards. I was singing my little my Will Griggs. I was, I was yeah, up bopping whenever I was. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually tune, a proper tune, to be great fair. Great tune, in fairness. <laughs> uh, so, no, there was a real feel-good atmosphere. Everyone hung around to, to see them and wish them well. And uh, it looks like the celebrations went on um, over the next couple, over the last couple of days, which was very well deserved as well. So, very pleasing. Uh, I mean, I think the performance, as I think they they alluded to themselves, wasn't probably up to scratch. And I think the red card is something I'm sure we'll touch on. Um, but uh, you know, you never really felt like Ireland were going to lose it after that point. Um, and there was probably a bit of a sweat, a bit of sweat before, but a squeaky bum time, I think, before that, because I think England looked like they had was troubled in a number of areas. They looked a little bit stingier defensively, uh, better at the rook and set piece. They were causing us trouble. So, um, you know, in the end, I think, you know, I always felt we were going to do it. And I think that was generally the sentiment around the stadium. But uh, it could have been a little bit more nerve-wracking if they had kept the 15 on. So, um, look, it doesn't matter now. Um, job done, as far as I'm concerned. A great way to sign off, as you mentioned, for Johnny Sexton. Yeah, before we get into some of the nitty-gritty, Keen, you know, you were touchline after the game. I think mm. the journalists were brought down for once to kind of experience the, the, the on-pitch, I suppose, uh, atmosphere. Like, what was that like? Just give us a bit of an insight into, you know, what those moments were like. Well, firstly, I don't think it was done for, for the journalists' um, case, if we should probably make that clear. Um, but it was an, an unbelievable thrill, I have to say. I mean, like, look... Th- days like this are when you kind of realise like what a privilege it is to, to work in this job I mean you get to go to some unbelievable places like Japan New Zealand over the last couple of years but um, we were brought down basically on at full time um, we were in the tunnel waiting to be brought out for security reasons to the side of the pitch so what they decided to do was set up a, a mix zone 
I think basically once the players went back into the dressing room, they didn't want to interrupt them, which is kind of fair enough. They wanted them to have their moment in the dressing room. So what they decided to do was, as the players were going to be walking around in the lap of honour, they would feed a few of them into us and we'd have a quick word with them. And anyone who heard our podcast on Saturday would have gotten a flavour for that. But um, I suppose what it did do is, well, it gave me a sense of what like a little taste of what the players were experiencing because obviously we're up high in the press box which is a totally like different vantage point to being on the pitch and looking up but like as it like I walked out um, through the tunnel like it just kind of looking up and the noise on the pitch is so different to what it is up high because obviously the way it's traveling and stuff and uh, that was definitely something I'd taken for granted and I just paused for a moment I looked around like at the sheer joy on supporters faces like Luke said everyone had stayed back to see them lift the trophy to acknowledge them on their lap of honour um, and just seeing the joy that the, the players brought to Irish faces like I was there in 2018 when Ireland won in Twickenham and that was class there was thousands of Irish fans but it was very very different being in in Dublin at home like Luke said it had never been done before and then when we got to chat to the players like the the emotion like on some of them again like people would have heard it in Josh van der Fleer and Ross Byrne who I spoke to afterwards and that was kind of shared I think amongst the players you saw how much the family got involved and um, it was just really cool experience from from my point of view because like I said we were, we're never allowed near the pitch we're always kept uh, far away from it so it happened by chance I would say and it gave me I think a deeper sense of appreciation for what the players were experiencing I mean you know Luke you've played in the Aviva like plenty of times um, I got to play there once in a charity football match with no crowd there but they did play the national anthem but um, just looking up at like the size of the stadium the amount of people there and to see what these guys do on a weekly basis performing under pressure um, it was just magical and just one of the, the great days in the job Yeah it's funny you mentioned from I suppose a media perspective the, the kind of privilege to be at some great days over the last while I saw Brendan Fang tweeted over the weekend that he ran into some old colleagues who said worked their entire careers and Ireland never got near winning a Grand mm-hmm. Slam or didn't have the same success it's kind of lucky that we came along when we did and got to we had to chat about like we were doing this podcast in the 90s like they didn't beat Scotland once like, Well you know. it's, it's funny it's funny you should say that actually because uh, like it was my first time in New Zealand last summer and some of the the fellow journalists that I was there were like 10th, 12th time in New Zealand had never seen Ireland win there. Suddenly I go on my first and they win a, they win a series <laughs> down there. So, but, they, but it's true though, like, well, like these are, like I was writing about this after the 20s won the, the Grand Slam on Sunday. Uh, like these are truly special times for Irish rugby and I don't think we should lose sight of that. It's not always going to be like this. You know, the World Cup is coming and who knows what's going to happen there. So I think... We like supporters, media, the players, like everyone should kind of cherish these times. And like it was interesting that Johnny Sexton and Eddie Farrell, you know, they were, you know, saying they're going to enjoy the moment, but they were already thinking about the World Cup and what's coming. And I just thought that gave a real insight into the the mentality of this squad. In terms of Saturday, Luke, why do you think there was that edginess and nervousness? We, we were talking the build-up about how this team mentally bulletproof, you know, they, they deal with everything. The first hour of that game, they were really struggling, a lot of uncharacteristic errors. It did seem like the occasion got to them. Yeah, probably a little bit of that nervousness, maybe. I think England deserve a little bit of credit, too. I think they kind of stifled some areas of the game where Ireland had... Um, really really strong throughout the competition like I think Ireland's set piece has been really really good they've had lots of good platforms to attack teams off and have been very effective at lots of periods during the game now they were towards the end and we did see some lovely tries from set piece but uh, they were good there England um, and I think the referee's interpretation of the scrum was a little bit iffy all day from an Irish perspective as well so they didn't get much pay there um, and I just thought they defended better for, for large parts of it you know and I think <clears throat> 
Interestingly, with red cards, I think it's, you know, when you get a red card in the back line, oftentimes you don't really see the dominance in the game that you would see if there was, a, you know, seven forwards v eight forwards. But what you do get is oftentimes, and I think it's probably what we did see, you see a team, once you can, once you can get a good solid set piece or you can suck a few players in, it just all opens up in front of you. There's, there's no one covering in a certain position or whatever. You run in these kind of easy tries, um, and that's probably where we saw it. So we didn't see the dominance in the game, um, probably because of that, but we did see the scoreboard pressure uh, eventually tell. Um, so, yeah, look, I think there was there was a, a, probably a number of things um, that, that probably caused that little bit of nervousness, Will. And I think we probably saw as well, like, some key guys who seem to never have made a mistake. Uh, like, thanks to Tyke Furlong, I thought, had a bit of a patchy game uh, for a guy who is probably the best in the world in his position. But, you know, they're not bulletproof, these guys. Uh, you know, and he has been injured for, for quite a while. So you do get these kind of parts of that, Will. And, and, and um, you know, I think what was... While we say they weren't bulletproof and they, were, they looked edgy, they still got the win. So that's the kind of key thing to come out of all this. Well, so, like if they were play- so say if the fixtures were different and it was France last instead of England last... And that was the performance they gave. I think they were they get beaten by France. And if it's a World Cup quarter final, there was different factors at play mentally. I think with that game than there was against France. So you're kind of dealing with a team who hasn't been playing well, still trying to discover their form. I think the way England played in the first kind of 20 minutes, they actually had lots of opportunities. But you could see, like when they look back at that video, they actually had some really really good attacking opportunities. But their shape was all over the place, particularly in the wide channels. And France, that wouldn't happen. And they'd probably put one or two of those away. And all of a sudden, the edginess goes and, and you're kind of saying oh we're, we're in a real gamer plus they know coming into a French game that they need you know to be 95% 90% you know within that 90% to 100% band of, of your ability to go ahead and win the game whereas with England just where they are in the journey that was going to be a challenge alongside everything else as well I think yeah, I, I, I think you hit the nail on the head by saying they're not bulletproof I mean so much has been made over this campaign and what Ireland did last summer of them you know being this sort of you know these mental like incredible mental beings and you know Gary Keegan has come in for a lot of praise and there's no doubt that Ireland's mental strength has improved but they're human at the end of the day and I like you know what they did in New Zealand last summer by winning in that third test like it, it was so far away from home like last week was so different to what they would have experienced then like with people looking for tickets the players spoke about it Johnny Sexton spoke about it he kept his phone off for most of the week just trying to switch off like Josh van der Fleer spoke about going down to the shop and like it's all goodwill but like that's just a different kind of pressure that they would have been I think used to and I think they they wouldn't be human if they they weren't um, if they weren't nervous and I do like obviously there there was one or two too many errors for for their liking but I think in the grand scheme of things that will actually stand to them more I think if England had come over and rolled over and Ireland put a big score on them I'm just not sure what they would have got out of that they could have been rocking up into preseason thinking you know that was a handy enough grand slam whereas if we're reflecting on the tournament as a whole and in particular that England game. I think Ireland will look at each of their five performances and see like big areas to improve. And when you think that they got, like they should have got five bonus points in all games. When you think back to the Scotland game at, at the mm-hmm. end, when Keen Healy, you know, does well to win the scrum penalty and then doesn't tap the penalty, and James Ryan's offload doesn't go to hand. So to come away with twenty-four out of twenty-five possible bonus points, and still, like this is certainly my view anyway. I still feel like there's plenty of growth in this team, and that's not what I would have felt like in, in 2019 you know so um, I think it's hugely hugely encouraging without like without getting ahead of ourselves you know it's it's still going to be an unbelievably tough task at the World Cup and I don't think anyone is sugarcoating that but it's such a 
promising place to be, I think. Yeah, I want to talk about some big picture stuff across the campaign, but first let's discuss the red card, get that out of the way. Like for you, was it a red for Stuart? I don't think it was. <coughs> I think what didn't really help was um, how he kind of protected himself. Uh, he took the arm and it was a bad look. Uh, what I thought were mitigating factors were that he didn't really step in. He kind of jumped and turned. It was like an, almost like an awkward reaction. I also felt like because there was a late kind of drop of the ball from from Ireland. Now, it doesn't matter whether it's Ireland or England. Like you still have to, you still have a ju- like a duty of care to the person entering into a contact uh, zone with you. But it did make for an awkward kind of collision. Um, and, and I just felt like, look, Hugo Keenan goes off with with a head injury, um, but. And, and I, I pro, like I promise you when I say this, I'm all for trying to protect our players as much as possible. I just felt like that was a sports collision, and I have gone very hard at Jakob Piper like on a number of occasions for some poor refereeing in situations where people were in control, had high shots, and were playing dangerous rugby. This, to my mind, wasn't that. I just thought it was a bad look with the arm tucked, and that's probably why, in the end, he, you know, they, they decided to go with it. But I thought it was a yellow card maximum. I thought it looked like an awkward collision to me. Um, and, I, and I felt like, I don't care whether it ruins the game or not, it did do that. Um, but at the same time, um, you know, I just felt like the decision, on its own merits, was probably a bit harsh. Um, you know, and I think probably a number of factors played into that, as I mentioned. The tuck arm and, and obviously Hugo Keenan going off was probably another factor there too. Yeah, considering the amount of tackles we see yellow cards for when there's mitigation given that a lot of people don't think there should be. There did seem to be quite a lot of grey in, in that decision. Like Keenan was stooping to pick up a bouncing ball. Was, was Stewart accepting the contact? What's your view on it? Should it have been a red card? Uh, I think it probably was just about, but like I'm not very firm on it which I know is kind of kind of sitting on the fence a little bit I can see both sides of the argument I have to say at the time and watching it on the replay I did think it was more of a red than a yellow card I agree with Luke I think the issue for me was that tucked arm and yeah. like people the would say the tucked arm looks very bad yeah. in slow motion it, it looks like he's like going if he had tried him. to wrap him like do you yeah. know if, you, if you'd almost tried to catch him but he, you could see that he was protecting so himself. Fast, like. It did happen fast. <laughs> I just, do you know what I didn't like? And this would be interesting to hear your your opinion on this one. Um, you know, it looked like he was kind of he was never going to get hurt himself in this. But it did, you know, do you know that kind of way? Mm. He was protecting himself one hundred percent. Like he wasn't going to get hurt doing that. Kind of a natural reaction, but I still think he could have achieved the same thing while having a bit of a wrap. Now, it's look, we're, we're, this, this happened like that, and the slow mo looked really poor. Like, I actually thought the, the yellow card in the second half mm. for Willis was probably more clear cut red than, than this one, um, even though that wasn't like he didn't drive him into the ground on that one, but just from what where he landed he on there? that was a crazy decision <laughs> to my mind. But if they hadn't got the red, I think that was a red, um, and the other one, and the, the, the one in the first half, if that had been a yellow. So, uh, look. I, I get what, where Keane's coming from. I think everyone is probably... Everyone's keen to make sure that we protect uh, our players as much as possible. And this is probably one of those scenarios where you're kind of saying, look, you just cannot tuck the arm there, you know, because you're leaving something on the other person, aren't you? Yeah, and you're right in what you said as well. Like, I mean, once Stewart like, enters that collision, for want of a better term, it's his, it's his responsibility yeah. for his body. And I know it happens in a split second, and I actually have huge sympathy for him. I don't think there was Did you think he it? entered the collision? That was, my, that was probably what I, put, I, sh- I should have asked you. It looked to me like he kind of jumped away, half kind of nearly disengaged on like do you know, what I mean? do you know what I mean? like there wasn't a step in you know you're going to tackle someone you're always worrying about your feet and how close your feet are to put in a, a, as big a shot as you can that didn't to my mind didn't happen mm. it almost looked like he kind of went like this like he took the arm that way and almost and no one can see me I, I realise this I'm, as I'm getting further from the microphone um, but it looked to me like he kind of disengaged from the, from the contact while tucking the arm that, that's what saved him a little bit for me 
Yeah, like look, I I see both sides of it. I I, I think it's going to be fascinating to see what the disciplinary committee mm, make. Yeah, but obviously, right, at the yeah. time of recording, we don't have the verdict. I think it's out tonight. But um, mm. that to me would be very interesting because if the committee go against Jacko Piper, like who I actually felt like I, gr- I agree with you, probably to the letter of the law, like probably went through the right process. Mm. Um, but if they rescind it, it's it's just a grey area, I think, going yeah. forward. But I don't know. Maybe they need to look at the the law and tweak it because, like, I hate that term. I have to say, rugby incident. Um, but if ever there was a rugby incident, this probably was it. Collisions are going. Like, it was to like happen. a sports collision to me. You know, like, you know, like uh, it happens in football. You know, like uh, someone, like you know, someone that's a heavy touch or something like that, and you're kind of end up in a contact zone when really. Mm. You should, you know, it shouldn't happen, or you know, you know that kind of way. It felt like it can happen. I, loads I thought of it was, I thought it was interesting as well um, that, and this was only something I realised after watching the game back. As Freddie Stewart was walking off the pitch, James Lowe went over to him and shook his hand and seemed to be consoling him a little bit. So that, to me, probably said that the players themselves probably had a lot of sympathy for him as well because they they know that kind of situation so look it, it was a tricky one um, and like I said it'll be really really interesting to see like I don't for a second expect the book to be thrown at Freddie Stewart nor should I think it should be but it'll be interesting to see what the committee make of it in the cold light of day No for sure yeah and I said we, unfortunately we don't have the verdict now to debate but uh, it's very interesting nonetheless Luke in terms of the Grand Slam campaign obviously every Grand Slam is special it's only ever been foredone but in terms of what Ireland got out of this as well as the trophy like the depth they built across the team 26 players started across the five matches you know tight head you know out half you know key areas got a bit more exposure the game plan got further refined it seems like they almost every box I was mentioning earlier the, the bit of nerves they had to deal with against England the mental strength they showed it seems like every box was almost ticked en route to winning and it bodes maybe well for later this year yeah I think so I don't think we could be in a better position uh, I, you know just in terms of uh, allaying some of the concerns we had about key positions I thought Ross Byrne was a good find looked like Crowley you know he looks like the, the future to me um, you know we you know unfortunate for the likes of Frawley who looks like he's timed his injury run really badly um, you know he'll have to do a huge amount towards the end of the season uh, to, to try and get back in so uh, yeah it looked to me like the, as you said nearly all the boxes all the concerns that I think everyone had voiced about the team about them maybe some depth issues in different positions all look to have been answered fairly thoroughly and uh, even some some of our key skill positions you know um Murray looks to be back, uh, you know, playing good rugby. Conan, I thought, actually had two brilliant games towards the end of the championship. Like Doris looks like he has that fairly sewn up at this point, but great to see Conan there. Um, you know, looks like Baird as well at that sixth slot. You look at two, looks very, very deep to me really deep we're, we're, we're in great shape in, t- in, 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 uh, in Hooker um, and then that tight head slot you mentioned I think is very important to, 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 uh, to I suppose highlight um, the one area I might I, I think that has probably become unbelievably important to the team is actually Hugo Keenan now I think Mac Hansen might well be uh, kind of ready made uh, to, to go into that position just given his skill set his ball handling ability which I think is actually Keenan's really key attribute in this team. He's been very solid. He covers a huge amount of ground. His defence has come on massively um, from from last season. I think some really key tackles, but he opens up the pitch for the wingers. To my, to my mind, that's been the key for this Irish team. He seems to be able to his, his decision making, the quality of pass. He seems to get the ball to the right place and pops up. But you know his timing, his lines, everything. He's a key guy. I wonder about him and Ringrose. That's it, one area. Is where it a I'm missed saying, opportunity, mm. Keen, that they didn't experiment at fullback for one of the matches? 
I don't think they could. Yeah, like I just think Hugo Keenan has become so important, mm. and my understanding is that Mac Hansen has been running a fullback loads in training. That makes sense. So they're they're kind of a similar. Mm. And Jimmy O'Brien, I know it, it happened by accident, obviously, but Jimmy O'Brien got forty minutes there, you know. And to be fair, didn't miss a beat at all. Like I mean, that guy is just—he's covering every position. We spoke to him about it a couple of weeks ago. Like I mean you'd have a better sense of this Luke but like I just can't imagine how difficult it is to know that many roles going into a test match obviously you know he had to come on in the centre earlier in the competition so um, I think Jimmy O'Brien as a number 23 is an ideal guy to to have on the bench because he can cover so many positions now we have seen Farrell I think prefer to have a big centre on his bench as 23 so if you imagine if Bundy, Robbie Henshaw and Gary Ringrose are all fit. I still think uh, Robbie Henshaw and Gary Ringrose are your first choice uh, centres, but Bundy on the bench, you know, but it kind of limits in terms of what you're able to do. So these are good headaches to have. I think maybe did they miss an opportunity? Like they, I thought they changed enough. Like you think back to, you're, you're probably talking about the, the Italy game really like in in being honest, but they changed their halfbacks in that game. The centres as we spoke about after. Yeah, if you late draw, there was a lot of late uh, moving parts so in that I think game. Keenan, Keenan also played really well in that it's, game. Exactly, like, and, yeah, so, and it was a tight game for so, a long time. So period. to take to take another key guy out of mm. that back line I think would have been a little bit too much it's just the only position where there wasn't any exper- like not experimentation sorry because like there was injuries forcing hands but it's the only position that was ever present basically Like, but that's been the mm. case for yeah. basically since Hugo Keenan made his debut he's hardly missed a game and Andy yeah. Farrell has really really stuck to him I think he's probably confident in the, in the guys who he has backing up and I think it wouldn't be surprised if Mac Hansen is an option and Jimmy O'Brien but you want, you'd want to see them getting you know test it's a little bit of time yeah, do you know what I think it, it, probably, it will probably suit one of those games in in, in the summer, uh, you might just drop someone else in there. Oh just yeah, I'd be surprised for, just if for forty didn't, minutes yeah. or something. Even just, though it's just, so, so hard to put much stock in those games, but, but unless just, you, just unless have you a concede just sixty have a points at Twickenham, just, yeah. just, <laughs> <have, laughs> just have a feel for yeah, you know, yeah. just have a feel for because that position is so important. I think uh, if you're. If you're trying to play, like the teams I played on probably didn't play as much attacking rugby um, and there was a big focus on high balls and, and, and that kind of stuff. Um, whereas this team is far more attacking. You know, you can see like the wingers get some, like get so much ball in, and it doesn't even have to be a two-on-one for them to get a ball. They get it if it's two-on-two because Keenan can get it. He trusts the pass and he trusts the guys to, to be able to beat someone and make something happen. Um, but he has the ability to get the ball there. So it's important. But I think the other two guys have that ability as well. They, they do. And I think the, <clears throat> the, the bigger picture still stuff with, with regard to the wingers being encouraged to come off I was in Andy Farrell said that he doesn't want his wingers to be tidy um, is that it takes the pressure off Johnny Sexton I think like you have so many more guys who are who are not not just comfortable being on the ball they want to get on the ball I think Mac Hansen probably personifies that more than anyone you think about the amount of times that he exploited the short side even again at the weekend yeah. for Dan Sheehan wasn't it you think back to Murrayfield his pass to put Jack Conan away um, like he played 10 as far but as but he just kind of drifts in there like he doesn't have to be making a killer line no. he just drifts in there just to be an extra pair of hands sometimes and people he has the ability key and I think to play that one under pressure like mm. he had some brilliant ones from set plays where you're kind of going Jesus like that is literally in his hands and gone you know mm. uh, like real, it takes real skill and, and trust in your ability and the guys around him they run hard lines off him because they know mm. he can deliver the pass that's also something that people forget about and that, that means you're doing it in training or, you do, or you've done it in matches because people don't run those lines if they know mm-hmm. you can't deliver it and he played 10 when he was younger and I he think, could see it. I think you, you could definitely see yeah, that how yeah. comfortable he is and it goes back to what George Ford said in 2019 if you start, if you follow Johnny Sexton on the pitch and stop him you stop Ireland and while Ireland are still you know pretty reliant I would say on Johnny Sexton everything doesn't go through him anymore This the attack has multi-layers to it and I think 
James Lowe, like all the things we're saying about Matt Canson, I think we could say a lot of them about James Lowe as well because they're yeah. pretty similar in how they play. And then when you have Hugo Keenan who... I think it's just his game has gone to the next level, I would yeah. say, in, in the Six Nations. But his attacking side, we've always kind of, you know, highlighted how defensively solid he is, his kicking game. But his attack, I think, has really, really stepped up. So um, I think that all feeds into Ireland being more unpredictable in attack, which is shown, you know, by the tries. Do you know what scoring. I'd say as well? I think his tackling has improved a huge amount. He had a few sloppy ones. Like last year against uh, La Rochelle, he missed a bad one. Uh, got done on the inside. I think it was Rule. Remember Rule went in for that try. Now it was bad defence on the oh, outside yeah, early too. On, yeah, yeah. Um, like you know, I think it was it was either Tiger. Someone didn't trust Ty to make a tackle. Mm. Stepped in. They got the ball over the top. But he got done so badly on the inside. And I was just thinking, um, you know, he's a bit to go on that fr- on that front for me because you do want your fullback to bail you out. How many times did he bail us out during the Six Nations? Particularly times you would think the Scotland Scot- game is the Murphy, one that really yeah. stands out. Uh, now, of course, it's a bl- complete blooper by Scotland yet again. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Hogg, obviously, last year, like shooting themselves in the foot, not throwing the pass, just selfish play. Um, but you still have to make the tackle, and it was brilliant bit of play by him. And he bailed us out a few times. So that, like, that's just a sign of a player who's looking at his game, who's thinking about it, and thinking about where he can improve. Um, and pe- they're the people that you want in your organisation, on your team. Uh, so, uh, for, you know, kudos to him I think he looks like he's as you say coming into his own now and really at the, at the height of, of his ability yeah player of the tournament for me I know there's a lot of guys to choose from I think he's on the shortlist isn't he yeah. he was released yeah, yeah. I think Matt Cantor it's a public vote I think Matt Cantor uh, he's just popular I'd yeah. say James Ryan probably had the biggest impact and he's not even nominated yeah. oh is he not oh, there no, you go. which is yeah. like, which I thought is, is a, a bit of a joke really and I also sorry just one quick rant I think it's a joke that it's a public vote yeah it is like, it's silly yeah. it's, it's a silly. popularity yeah, thing it's and, and if it's a popularity thing then Matt Hansen 100% should win it because he's I saw him at 3-1 <laughs> to one. I saw him at 3-1 to one and they took the Hugo Keenan's a great lad he is a good lad but your man has all the personality yeah. Two countries worth of people voted. He, he has yeah. delivered unbelievable quotes for the journalists throughout. Even on <laughs> Saturday again, he was talking about having to take tablets before the match uh, so that he didn't, uh, you know what, to himself. <laughs> so, um, yeah, like I just think if it's a popularity context, then Mac Hansen has to win it. But that just really annoys me that it's like a, a social media vote. Yeah, like yeah, it yeah. should be a prestigious honour yeah. to win the award like even if it was voted for by the players I think it would be really good because mm. players always say you know the biggest honour you can get is being voted for by your fellow players, pro so yeah, sorry that's just a mini no I agree like, it, it does cheapen it D- sure. sorry DuPont's still the best player in the championship he is yeah but I would I, but, it's, but you think, do you think he had the best tournament of anyone Like, yeah he was unbelievable he was still like think about think about no, him against Ireland. Able. Think about him against Ireland, like yeah. when, when talk about getting, But like even even he, he was the one who set up the try like from from distance. He was the one who started off that play. Miss, you know, so missed a tackle on. Like he's a genius. Like he's, he's like, and like that pass on the weekend yeah, yeah. was just. Did you see the support line? Like he is just a magician. Like because I think um, was it uh, who made Entmac made the break and kind of didn't look for him. And he you can see him. He drifts off almost almost on a switch. Um, I, so so I think it's Entmac kind of straightens kind of drifts right DuPont is actually behind him on his right hand side comes for a switch to get left but changes pace to go left is able to stop swivel turn right again the Entmac gets scragged and then throws the little offload to him and that 35 mm. yarder on the run like yeah. that, like magic there's no one else that can do that and I just think every game I watched him play I was just thinking that guy's just on another level even though I agree it's hard to look out, outside of 
you know, the Grand Slam team and we did yeah. beat France comprehensively, but he was still brilliant on the day and had, had his, some big moments. His performance in Twickenham as well was oh, ludicrous. Unbelievable. Good. I'm in favour of the, the winning team getting it for the most part. And like, DuPont will have loads. He could probably win them for... <laughs> he's won it twice favorite. already. He's won it, it twice in the three years. He's still the so. best. Like, he's, anyway. he's, he's the best player in the world by, I yeah. think, by head and shoulders for a small man. He's quite quite a bit above everyone else. It, it's actually tough to pick um, an Irish bear because, like, mm. I think you would have said Caelan Doris was nailed on. He but faded like, a bit. Yeah, like he... But he was... I don't think he was fit going into the yeah. the game how could he be and like, I thought he still played well but he's he warrior, wasn't quite yeah. at his you know best um, a lot of good Irish players missed a couple of matches yeah, like Sheehan Ringrose Ring they missed that, time this is what I mean Keenan and, ever pressed and that yeah when he went off in the second half you know so but I just yeah just the final point on it I just think it was crazy that James Ryan wasn't just be, it's because he, his role isn't that glamorous is what I feel that he doesn't get I the think his game has come on so Paul O'Connell won it one year like so it's not as Paul he would have been he's more, more famous visible, like, yeah, yeah. just more visible and just but he, he, he's obviously captain and mm-hmm. there was I, mean. four, I was talking about this four players played every minute the two wingers who we've just praised um, yeah. uh, James Ryan and Josh Van Der Fleer were four, or the four players who played every minute of the five games and I just they thought, were all sensational. They were all, like I just thought James Ryan was excellent in every game, particularly in the the Murrayfield game when you know the line out with all the issues that were happening. Himself and Peter O'Mahony really steadied the ship, and he just does so many. Of, and I know it's a bit of a cliche, but it is true. Like the stuff that people aren't looking out for, the unseen work in terms of hitting rocks. Like his role in ensuring that Ireland have quick ball to play off is so so. He looks important. so strong now. He mm. looks like he's grown into his body a little bit. Um, you know, he's he looks calmer. Um, he's not trying to make those he's not trying to make every hit a sensational hit now he's recognising that okay I think there was a period where you felt like you know he was probably wanting to get back to the heights of where he was he was struggling with injuries you know he he was kind of patchy uh, in terms of that side of things we couldn't get a good run of consistency he's coming into his own in my opinion I think he's calmed down a lot you can see he's got that captaincy he doesn't wear on him as much he's calling the line outs and he called some great ones um, he was injured as well which is worth remembering he had a bad run of injuries which a like bad run of injuries but he looks to me like he's not trying to go for every single involvement in the mm. game as being like you know end, trying to yeah. end someone he's he's happy enough at this stage to go okay look this guy's in a good position if I can stop him dead that's a good result for the team or you know one metre here means that I'm not going to give away a penalty or you know he just figured out uh, his game a little bit further mm. I think and I'd, I'd say Paul O'Connell's been a great influence for someone like him as well as Easterby who's a, who's a great character nice calm guys um, who are kind of analytical I'd say they've been a big help to him so himself and Josh like I thought funnily enough I thought that was Josh's best game in the championship on the weekend I thought he had some unbelievable moments in the game some big turnovers at different times stripping the ball out of guys and, and then obviously that, the ball handling ability like it, it's just his his really really tidy at the back of that mall isn't he he's you really just, calm you, you almost there. just take it for granted now that he's just going to be in 9 out of 10 almost every game one other player who I, I'm not going to name the whole team but who I do think flew under the radar as well was Peter O'Mahony I thought Brilliant. he had yeah. an outstanding six nation I'm not saying especially in Murrayfield Murrayfield was the goal, big when the going thought, got yeah, tough yeah. for him at the he, front of the line he, he had some great tackles as well he, he played, played 80 minutes and, in Murrayfield yeah. and I'm not I'm not saying Peter Manny should should have won player of the tournament by any means, but I thought he was brilliant. Very like, solid, he's yeah. a player who constantly gets, you know, oh like let's, you know, bring in the next guy and he just continues to prove his worth. I think he's a I, very important. I love watching him in the anthems as well. The closed eyes is just so much. So yeah. I, I, I spoke to him about that for an interview a couple of weeks ago. He said he bricks it during the anthems. He can't even look at the crowd because he said he knows where so his family emotional. are going to be. So emotional, and he said he's already racked with nerves. And he said if he made eye contact with any of his family, he said it would finish him. Like so, that's why he has his eyes closed. He's in his own kind of zone. Well, it's funny you said you didn't want to name check every Ireland player. Like Rudd did a piece I think today ranking the, yeah. the, every player, but it shows that you were getting into the mid twenties and guys. I was like, but he was glad. 
class like and he's still yeah. in like Jack Conan was like 20 because obviously he didn't start much but he, he had some key involvements the last two weeks that like really went a long way for Ireland winning a grass I think it's important that he that he had those moments mm-hmm. too as well I think there was a lot of people going I wonder how uh, like is this going to be sh- should we be sticking with Jack Conan there uh, you know would it be better to have Baird in there you know the way Leinster the way Leinster have kind of been selecting their team um, I was really pleased for him I thought he was he had some big moments obviously got the try over there but he, he was I thought he was carrying like he was brilliant we talk about Ryan not really going for too much I thought he didn't go for too much as well I thought he you know, re- loads of really solid carries just when the team needed him I thought his defence was excellent mm. as well at times um, yeah so really really pleased for, for Jack Conan who is a very quali- high quality player the offload and, as well uh, the offload is magic yeah, yeah. Look, but I think what you, what, the, the one thing to note about we're talking about everyone here and everyone haven't played well but that is that's how you win a, that's mm-hmm. how you win a Grand Slam campaign is everyone needs to play well and it's a team effort and it's hard to pick who the best guys are yes we've, we've, we've name checked a few people but I, I would say it was a real team effort and and the coaching staff yeah. have a huge amount um, to I think you know take credit for in that respect because they've obviously got everyone humming and thinking the same way um, and um, yeah it was, it was it's a real pleasure to watch them at the moment yeah just say. on Conan I think like he would be like he's such a great guy to chat to from a media point of view because he's always so honest yeah, and re- really open and I think he I always think he makes a mistake with that I think he, he highlights something that I think some of those people aren't looking for don't say, that, don't say that don't say that I tried to say to him a while ago I was like great, like, don't, let us. them figure out what you're, what you're um, messing up <laughs> but, but he, he, he's, he's really open and honest and I think he would be the first to admit that he did dip below the you know being a test line starter and Doris is obviously one of the best number eights in the world right now but I thought like it was interesting the way he celebrated that try in Murrayfield there was so much emotion in it and I felt like an almost a release cathartic kind of you know mm. like you know I haven't gone away and when kind of you know Ireland weren't at their best against England there was an unbelievable like in my mind anyway comfort in knowing that the quality that was on the bench and yeah. Jack Conan was certainly one of those guys who I was going he's still going to come off he's yeah. come off the bench here he's going to make a big big difference and so he did I never thought Ireland were going to lose and I just listened to you and Rod at the weekend and he was Rod, 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 Rod is a pessimist he said it on the podcast when we were at Murrayfield he was uh, sitting next to me he's going what do you say you can't win a game when it's like this it's just like you can't like Keen Healy's playing hooker Josh van der Feer is trying to you can't win a test match away from home so yeah I had to calm down I had calm road down a couple of times last weekend as well so uh, my, my glass is generally more half full so the two, the two of us if you, had a, if you had a camera on us for our conversations <laughs> are, are, are quite something have sp- your own spin-off <laughs> podcast like, so we're talking obviously about how good a position Ireland are in everything looking good Fabien Galtier had some interesting comments after the French game saying we're the, we're the team to beat still like you know we're very confident where we are really talking up the French and obviously they played very well against Wales scored a lot of tries like what's your view on that like are, are France still yeah. top of the charts I think they are yeah, yeah. I do I, I just feel just just, just at home at home at home it's such an important part of rugby it's really difficult to go away and win and that's why it's so impressive to have gone to you know Murrayfield and look I know Wales are in flux but and we should beat Italy but it's still a tricky tricky way to go about things and we look fairly comprehensive in those two big games we, we came out of those two ones particularly uh, very very well the Italy one not so much but we got the job done uh, a bit like the England match to my mind Um France are still, I think, the team to beat in this competition. I think they're the only team that have the firepower to deal with the box later on uh, as well in the competition, depending on where they meet them. Uh, if it's probably, sorry, could, could be quarterfinals, but it could be further on too, um, you know, depending on how both, team, mm. both teams go. They're the, they're the most, they're the best match with them, I think. And I think, I think they'll have figured out uh, a bit about, our, having watched Ireland and the Aviva, about how they'd play Ireland. I think they... 
because they have such brilliant finishers and they can score a try from anywhere, they can still do that. I think they got lured into playing a faster game than they, they, they need to play against Ireland. I, I would not be doing that against Ireland if I were them. I'd be slowing things down. I'd be hitting touch a bit more. Um, I think that plays into Ireland's hands, which is why I think New Zealand are actually a better fit for Ireland in that quarterfinal than, than France. I just think the the weighty teams are still the ones that will cause Ireland the most trouble, I think, um, as seen by that England pack, which was a big pack, um, you know, caused Ireland a little bit of trouble for that first 50, 60 minutes, I think. Uh, th- that, to my mind, is still the blueprint of how you play Ireland. You, you're stingy defensively in the tight parts of the pitch and you really go after them at set piece and try and slow the game down and, and go from, you know, uh, go from position to position on the pitch, not have the ball in play for long, long periods of time, which is what Ireland want because... I don't see another team, even I would include New Zealand in this at this point in time, I don't see another team that can ball play like Ireland. I, I know they were patchy in the weekend, but generally speaking, everyone on that team and on the 23, probably the 30, extended 30, are comfortable with ball in hand, passing to each other, finding space. Uh, and I think they're actually a really good rooking team as well. Uh, so they can keep the ball in play for a long, long period. So they're very, very fit. Um, so there's a way to play against that. France can do that and could cause us trouble. I think New Zealand only know how to play that way. And I think that suits us. I think that's why we've had a bit of recent success against New Zealand. But agreed, France still the team to beat at home in the World Cup. I liked Galtier's comments. They were good on the Sunday morning. You're looking around for things to put up on the website. And Galtier, a gift from God, is coming straight out. Ireland won the Grand Slam. He's like, no, we're still the team to beat. Now they, uh, he did reference the fact that they're very strong at home. They've only lost one star under Fabian Galtier. And it was against Scotland in COVID when the member was rescheduled. So it was a bit of a weird game. But it it is set up very interestingly. Yeah, I thought uh, from a French point of view, if we're going down that route, uh, I thought the, not just the win at Twickenham, but the manner of the win at yeah. Twickenham was so important for them in, in terms of going forward. So firstly, you think that that's their last away game before the World Cup. They hadn't won in Twickenham in however many years it was. You'll probably know. Yeah, 18, I think. There yeah. you go. 18. Knew you'd know. That was only their second ever Six Nations win in Twickenham. The, yeah, so that was their last big away game. They won. And I also kind of had a nagging sense that, like, made made this point and with you guys before that they won a Grand Slam last year and they were really good and all that but they didn't play like kind of as UA French mm. rugby so that's grand when you're winning but I kind of had a nagging sense in the back of my mind that come the World Cup they're playing the All Blacks in the first game if the All Blacks were to beat them at home suddenly the pressure kind of comes on and like if there's any home support that's going to turn on their own it's the French <laughs> so um, I just thought the Twickenham performance was a reminder of like the they can do it all mm. the power the pace the quality of tries they scored I know England were absolutely rubbish that day but I just thought like that was a real reminder that France and are the team to beat I think yeah, and it's funny how much of a difference Dante's made the last oh, two he only played two yeah, weeks yeah, but like yeah. they were the two best performances by a distance they were struggling in the centre mm-hmm. you know Mafena wasn't really delivering a whole pile and Fiku didn't look the same player without Dante inside him but he like, cleaned up he cleaned up England yeah, yeah. He he's so good over the ball yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean he, he had four or five did he have four or five turnovers yeah, it must yeah. have been um he looked like the difference maker in that England match, to my mind. Like you know, he was the the he kind of seemed to be that gel that kind of brought that French flair and that physicality that I think. Mm. I think that's still their biggest. If you if you look at that French pack, it's the power of it that really it would worry you. Uh, any team in the world, I think, and if they can get on top of you in those exchanges, 
Um, you know, I think uh, they've got such a strong line out. I mean, that um, you know, the the they've got three guys there they can kind of lift generally, or four guys, and they just have some big bruises who can lift them too with a good thrower like that. Um, the, his is a Marshawn at a two. Mm. He is an unbelievable player. Like I, I every time I watch him, even against Ireland, he was unbelievable against. And they have Malvaca as well on the bench. The other two sucker similar to Ireland. That's yeah. probably the, the only other very very hooker. strong. Yeah, but like and they didn't have Cameron Walkie, who yeah. was one of the best young players in the world, but Thibaut Flamon came in, and I thought he was one very of the good, best. Right. Players he had an unbelievable tournament. Yeah, yeah, so like look they're they're a serious serious team I think you know lots of the focus is obviously going to be on DuPont anytime you talk about France because he is a generational talent will go down as one of the greats to ever play the game but um, I couldn't agree more I think Dante is so so important I think we saw that I wasn't convinced by Mo Fan at all I have to think I think at 12 um, he he you know that he came in trying to play that Dante game and there's very few people in the world who, who have that uh, kind of power and pace to be fair as well there's a nice so. balance with Fiku I think because mm. they're both big yeah, guys yeah. but Fiku has that little bit of footwork yeah. he can you know he saw the kick he's got the little bit of flair yeah. I think that you always want to have um, you know you need one of those guys to be able to do those things and I think he's a lovely balance uh, for, for Dante alongside because you get the creativity with DuPont with Entomac mm-hmm. with whoever you have in there um, and, and you can unleash that power in the back three um, and one thing that does worry me about them is Ramos kicking like when he's on He's mm. really on. He didn't look like he was ever going to miss one. He was just so calm and he just strokes it. He had a great tournament. Great tournament. But he's solid. He, he gives them a the little bit of solidity there. You know, yeah. you have that moment of madness with some French teams that they, they just have in them. I think he is the counterbalance to that part mm. too. So I think they have a great balance there. Um, and that's kind of what worries me. I feel like they've got all those things you worry about with French teams. Like, will they be flaky? I don't know, like DuPont's never going to be flaky and he's in the key position, touches the ball mm. the most. Full back is strong, 10 is strong, 8 very strong, 2 very strong. The locks, big, big men. Like, so I just think they're, like, it's, it, we. We should enjoy this, but I think I don't, I, I'm not enjoying it anymore. No, but I think Farrell. <laughs> no, but I think Farrell and Sexton will, will understand that you know there's still a few big games that you know there's still key moments that and and why I think why they were so happy and confident after this and why they can be is that they came through a difficult one. They'll have a difficult one between South Africa, Scotland, mm-hmm. France, New Zealand, whatever it is. Provided we get through those two there will be difficult moments and we might not play well we might not have played as much rugby as we like there might be someone injured we we, we dealt with all those things well we're in good position to really to get past that quarterfinal slot eventually but let's not kid ourselves about how big the challenge will be and there could be some Irish French Champions Cup clashes over the next couple of weeks and months that you know could pit huge cohorts of these guys against each other like I know it's not exactly maybe relevant but it is kind of psychological mm, potentially well it's relevant because like like how many injuries are going to be between now like that's the unfortunate thing between now and the World Cup because like I mean you think like Saturday week we've got Leinster and Ulster in the Champions Cup at the Viva Stadium I mean like it's just so like I'm trying to get my head around switching back into kind of club mode imagine how difficult it is for the players so like it's highly unlikely that all like every player is going to be fit come the come the World Cup as far as you know that is still away so a lot can happen I think between now and then you know is it difficult to switch back in like every year Ireland have won a Grand Slam in the Six Nations or Leinster have won the Champions Cup afterwards well it's only happened twice but like so mm. it's two from two like do you bounce back into your club action or are you kind of mentally a bit drained from winning a Grand Slam and, and having all the, the celebrations and the you know the the extras or what, what's that like Um, I always thought they were kind of deflating moments like I always thought like when I look back at my career, I was thinking, do you know what? The, the journey was so much more enjoyable. Like once you lift the trophy, you have a bit of a night out with the lads. You're like, like 
well, I want to get back in play now. Like, do you know what I mean? I'm, I'm kind of done with it. Um, maybe that's all the drink and you're just on a downer. I don't know. But it's, uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it's a funny old one, isn't it? Like, I was dying to get back into Leinster. I always thought that, um, you know, it was a it was a real fun place to go when I was playing there. And uh, we played great rugby. We had great coaches. So, you know, I was kind of looking forward to, to the challenge to get back in. Some people maybe take a little bit longer. You know, it can be a big it's not like it's it's they're kind of elated and it kind of goes on for a little bit longer um i don't know why my personality was that i felt like i couldn't really enjoy those big ones like i i always felt like they're a big anticlimax um so i was really dying to get back in and and play the games um i don't know if everyone else felt like that will but it does seem to some people do seem to have a hangover seem to take a little bit longer to get back into the swing of things new calls and different things so uh their course will be a little bit of that going on this is interesting because last year you know when france won the grand slam and it was huge and then toulouse players did look a little Mm. leggy you know i know they went extra time against munster and then had to play leinster the following week but people did say at the time oh you know dupont's been on the road a lot the french sides have been doing Mm. a lot whereas as i mentioned earlier it's worked well for Leinster in the past, you know, coming back into club action after winning a Grand Slam. Players probably should go. Probably should be mentioned that if we're talking about Leinster specifically, that that run of home fixtures will will, will actually play a big part now yeah. if they can like the, if they can the, get past Ulster. The Leinster players won't have another away match this year because they won't be going to South Africa. The frontliners, yeah, if, yeah. if they keep. Winning. And I suppose the caveat to that is like Leinster also had the most pairs playing in the Six Nations. So yeah. like you think the the four guys who I named played every minute. Three of them are Leinster players. Yeah. So like that's a heavy work toll. You think Andrew Porter played. Um, 80 minutes in Murrayfield six days later played 76 minutes like yeah. for a prop so they they do have heavy workloads in them and I think they will be conscious that there's obviously they're going to play in the in the Champions Cup games but I would imagine Andy Farrell and the, the Ireland coaches are just going to be watching through their fingers over the next few weeks and months just to like please make sure as many of these guys get to pre-season in July as possible and obviously beyond into the big one Is Johnny Sexton the greatest Irish rugby player of all time? A bloody close. Hard to argue against it now, just in, just in terms of the trophy cabinet, I think maybe. But um, no, Driscoll is still the best to me. He's, he was um, best at everything, toughest, most skillful. Um, yeah, and I, I just thought he was unbelievable. Yeah, but uh, look, Johnny's like unbelievably, uh, like unbelievable player mindset. Like he's he's rock solid like up there with Drico I still have Drico having an edge just for the physicality side of it too and the belief like he was unbelievable to play beside like what a player like how lucky he was to play that next to that guy um, but yeah he's up there he's in the pantheon of greats he's up there with the Fergus Slatteries he's up there with the Mike Gibsons uh, the Rogers, the Paul O'Connells I think yeah he's definitely up there so um, some brilliant company we've had some unbelievable players over the years and uh, he's certainly right up there I'd say so yeah um, what a way to finish I'm so pleased for him like he's do you know what he, he gets a lot of stick he's actually um, like one of the nicest guys behind the scenes honestly he is such like you can see how the the way the guys talk about him they you can see they they really do like him like he's a, he's an asshole on the pitch sometimes but he kind of probably has to be it's his personality as well hard to hide that part of his game um but off the pitch he just couldn't meet a nicer guy honestly one of the greats so yeah very pleasing just to ask you one thing before i know you were batting for him as the greatest of, of all time earlier in the week in, in our jury but uh you know, Luke mentioned it on the pitch and it's funny that Johnny Sexton brought up in the build up that moment when he got subbed at the start of the France at the start of Andy Farrell's reign and how he handled it badly and that he said it was a, one of the lowest points of his career it's an interesting that he kind of seemed to bring up himself and it's a, he's, shows the journey he's yeah, been on. Like he's, I th- he's very self-aware. Like, I mean, I talked earlier about um, Mac Hansen and this, the stuff he gives us. Like, like Johnny Sexton, we were lucky to get to speak to him so often because he's Ireland captain and I have to say, like, every time you 
he does a press conference, you come away thinking about something different. Like in education, Stuart Lancaster is very similar in terms, again, from a media point of view. And I always, I always felt like maybe it's because we get to speak to him so often that a lot of people maybe misunderstood him. I mean, the tantrum, okay, fair enough, but that's part of the character that makes, you know, makes him the great, great player that he is. You don't get to there without having a, a couple of flaws, if you want to say so. I thought it was, I, I touched on this earlier as well, I thought it was interesting that immediately afterwards he was already thinking of the World Cup, but when he went down, as he said himself, why was he getting involved in that mall? Um, you could hear him on the ref my talking to the doctor, asking him how long, how long. So um, I know Leinster said he was going getting scans. What I'm hearing isn't great, I have to say. Uh, I hope it's not true, but... Could be the rest of the season. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think he's he's looking at um a, a, a bit of a period out. So, um, we'll wait and see if that happens. But if he doesn't get to finish his Leinster career, I think that's what was in his mind that he wants to get back here. Like Leinster is so important to him as well as Ireland is. But if he doesn't get to finish his Leinster career as he wants to. I think that would be a big, big disappointment. Obviously, the World Cup is longer away and he'll have a much better chance of getting back for that. So uh, I hope I'm wrong, but certainly what I'm hearing is that he's facing a bit of a spell out. Yeah, no, that'd be that'd be a devastating way for his uh, Leinster career to end, for sure. You know, the under-20s obviously won the Grand Slam at the weekend as well. Double double delight. I know you were there working away <laughs> on Sunday as well. Where are all these guys going to play now? Like, what, what, Is there enough room in the provinces to take all this talent? And I know you were saying earlier that a lot of the lads could be eligible again next year, so that maybe they'll be hothoused for the 20s. But it seems like we're now producing so many good players that there's might not be enough game time to, to go around. Because even the guys who won last year haven't have seen very little of them on the provincial stage. And I know maybe they're still maybe a little too young, but it does seem... Like, is, is there, you know, I don't know. It's a catch-22 really, though, isn't it? Because what are you going to do, kind of like like revise the, the, the Irish systems when clearly it's working so well? I mean, the Irish under-20s won back-to-back Grand Slams. They've won, what is it, three in the space of four years. Or five years, it could have been four, but for COVID, um, the men's team and the 20s winning was the first time that's ever been done. So um, I think, like, the, the cream will always rise to the, to the top in terms of, like, the best players being picked. But, like... The system is working. I've heard these suggestions of, you know, like London Irish, and that always tends to crop up. But like, it's a bit fanciful, really. But like, David Nusifora flagged this. I think when was it his last year's briefing? He does like a yearly briefing. I think it was in last year's briefing, and he said it. Uh, it was possibly with the last year's twenties uh, grandstand in mind that it is Irish rugby is going to come to a point where we just can't, we don't have enough space for all these guys. But like, I don't know what the answer is, really, but. Like the system is working in my mind. Like there's the, the best players are still going to play for Ireland, and like you know, you're, if if other guys don't have room, then they try and get contracts abroad, which is obviously going to become more t- tougher because budgets are being cut. Like in France, it's harder because they want GIF, you know, French qualified players. So there's a lot going on. But I mean, if you look at that 20 team in particular. And if you were to pick out, you know, a few guys like Sam Prendergast is obviously the the example who everyone is talking about. Like he's going to be caught in the logjam at Leinster. But in my mind, if he is as good and certainly for the people who I've been talking to, the coaches involved in the 20s this year say that he is the real deal. And I know, like, you know, in the media, like, and I'd be guilty as, it, as anyone else, that we do tend to overhype players. But the coaches themselves are saying that this guy is the real deal. If he is... Then he'll he'll pass out the the guys in Leinster. But, but what's know? the real deal? Like, is in so someone like there's already guys there at the moment who aren't playing enough rugby who are very good players who would be considered the potentially the real deal. Like, is in like it's like five out of there. Like, there's only one match. You, you got to be careful with the twenties too. Like, it's 
it's still a long way off. Like, it's probably below, uh, you know, um, it's probably below URC still. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it, it oh, is, yeah, but the, the best, the cream of the crop. No, but there is, but you probably only get, you get five or six guys from it, yeah. generally. But that's a good return, though, isn't that's it? That's a brilliant like, return. I'm, oh, sorry, I'm not yeah. knocking that as a return. No. I'm just saying, it just means, like, as the, the, the chairs of a log jam, you probably have, so who's going to be leaving, you know, the, the game this year? There's probably, good, there's usually about four or five guys retired. There's probably two or three guys coming to the end. Like, the spaces do kind of open up. And, and it, as I completely agree with the, with the sentiment on, if you're good enough, you will find like they just mm. won't be able to refuse you or you've got to be brave and you've got to leave like for, for someone like Prendergast if you're looking with a cold eye like I, I'd be looking at very much at Ulster like you know it's it, it can be difficult for someone from you know the other provinces to go up to Ulster in their mind it's a kind of a bit of a transition but there's lots of guys who've actually done it now there's a blueprint to do it that to my mind is wide open up there for, for a proper 10 and if I was Ulster I'd be saying let us throw some cash at that problem because if they get the right person in there that could be the springboard for them because I think that's been the key cog for them they've got the nines they've got the ability outside they've got McCluskey they've got dangerous back three they've got the pack kind of sword it's not on Leinster's par yet but it's getting there uh, uh, like there is still places for these guys you just got to be willing to move out Leinster to my mind is, a, is the danger zone because you're in the capital, the team's playing brilliant, the coaches are excellent, you know, you're winning things, you're winning lots of games, but that's where you, you lose a year or two that are really crucial to you uh, in your development. If you're not playing rugby and you're capable of it, I think you're regressing, personal opinion. You're probably, I don't want to put words in your mouth, Will, but you're probably um, talking about the middle-tier kind of guys, are you, in terms of like... Yeah, I'm not saying like the best player in the 20s team who could yeah. be an Ireland star won't get his games on. I'm saying it like... He, well, he won't an answer though, would he? Would he no, he wouldn't. But no. I'm just saying generally, like if there's going to be, why won't he? Like, could he not pass out a Harry Byrne potentially? No, no, so. but he, he, no, he could if he was really good. But as in Harry Byrne is good enough to be playing week in week out. Like you see, Ro- Ross Byrne is, is the starting. Is the starting? Uh, if Johnny's injured, of course. Yeah, there's already Ross, Ross Byrne, Byrne. Yeah, yeah, Harry Byrne, Kieran Frawley, now Sam Prendergast. I'm just I'm, that's just one position. Well, Frawley isn't seen as a ten in Leinster. We've seen. No, those, I know. You know but then even someone like last year, like so James Culhane was like probably the star. Was he of last year? Is that fair to say? Like he's played a very limited amount. To rugby. He went on the Emerging Ireland Tour. He looked really good in the Emerging Ireland Tour. I know that it was against limited opposition, but like ideally he'd be playing like a, you know a good bit more than he has done. But again, the back row logjam and just like I don't know. Does, is there? Should it, so I've heard people say this. It wouldn't work really. But what's the, like if there was a, like some sort of draft system or something like that? Oh, you know? That's yeah. That's, it's pie in the sky. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it's not just Leinster. Like it's worth it's worth like you know highlighting because Munster you know are finally starting to produce guys as well. And you have two two of them in the back row: Ruin Quinn and Brian Gleeson, who like after Prendergast were probably the two standout players. Mm. Like they're two exceptional guys who play mm. pretty much in the same position. They're going back to Munster now in, like the Munster back row is pretty stacked at the moment yeah. as well, yeah. you know. But so you have Coombs, hodding it there, young Jack lads. O'Sullivan, yeah. you know, like, so they're all a similar age. Like Gavin Coombs is only, what, 23, 24. So it's, it's a problem across the board, but like it, in my mind, it's a good headache to have. Like there's always mm. injuries, you know, the yeah. chances come. And like they're two guys, I think, who will certainly going to push up the Munster ranks. I know Ruin Quinn, has already become Munster's youngest player, but like this guy Brian Gleeson, who's one of seven or eight players who's underage again next year, is an exceptional talent. Mm, yeah. Exceptional talent. Yeah, like I think David Newsom's point about like it's we're probably a, a couple of years, you know, a, a generation away from it being like a, a log jam or a big issue. Like we, there's not so much talent now that we oh we need a fifth team or we yeah. need to do this or that. Yeah, and that, that, that's the thing. Like a fifth team, like Connacht are already struggling as it is. So the notion of like getting a fifth team, I just. 
I think pie in the sky, really. No, like yeah. Him. No, but one, one time, this is how, I think I said this before, but I'll say it again. This is how sad I am. I got an A4 sheet out <laughs> and I like redistributed all the players in Ireland to, to four teams. And if you actually just were able to just cherry pick them all, you'd have four like very, very good teams. Obviously, the real world doesn't work like that. So we don't need a fifth team. No. And you go through periods where you'll have injury you know you like mm -hmm. think of Ulster or sorry Munster this year like there was a period there where they were they were really like back three they were completely decimated so there was loads of chances for, for young guys to get in there and have a look so you'll go through these periods where there's what's the average maybe between five and ten percent of your squad might be injured like you go through periods where it might be 20 25 it just happens you, know, you get bad luck or bad training or something happens you know a nimble kind of flexible loan system potentially to alleviate those things like mm -hmm. it should be easy in like a, a centrally owned system to be like oh, we have a lot of injuries in the back three in Connacht. Can we send such and such a young guy down for it? I don't know if that's feasible. But or you have these rivalries which make Irish rugby so yeah, great. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? If you were, if you were coaching, we kind of going, well, I might put the, like, if you were going down there wanting to impress, going, you know what, if I do well here, there's probably a better chance of me starting on this team. Maybe they'll, maybe the loan move becomes permanent. Maybe I'll give them a few of the plays. You know what I mean? There's a bit of that stuff could go on. I know it sounds like a good <laughs> No, no, seriously. Yeah, no, that right. is a big thing. Like, they didn't want people going like going to other clubs because of those kind of things. And you'd be pressured in those places to go, well, what are they doing in there? Like, what you, like, you want to get an edge. So I know it sounds like a silly thing, but they are concerns for people within. And there's also big rivalries within the provinces. Like, so... It's, yeah, it's interesting. Like, I mean, we spoke to Scott Penny, who was a guy I think a lot of people would have been going, Oh, needs to get out of Leinster. You know, if he was, he'd be playing for Ireland. Yeah, yeah, all that kind of talk. But a couple of weeks ago, we were chatting to him during one of the breaks in the Six Nations. And his point was, Well, I'm playing with the best players here, you know. And I often think, like, that. Well, sorry, it's, it's he's training with the best players exactly, there. He's yeah. not playing that often. Well, no, but he's playing in the, the URC. Yeah. And obviously, you know, he hadn't played, hasn't played a lot in the Champions Cup, but. We've seen not everyone who's moved to Ulster has it done their career very well. I mean, I think of a guy like Jordy Murphy who went up there and I don't think he's played for Ireland since. And it's not a like-for-like like example, but when you're playing with better players, you have a better mm. chance of standing oh, out yeah. and looking better. The, the, the success rate of Leinster players leaving is pretty poor. I, I actually wrote, I was just sent a list of road a while ago and like I went through them and like it was probably like a 25%. Mm. He'd be like, oh, they actually went and were like really good and oh. had a very good time away from Leinster. The majority either don't play well or just don't really even get going. And you can imagine that they're looking at that as well, going, you know, are my Ireland chances better suited to here? So it's a real catch-22. And even you think back to Jack Crowley and Rog trying to, you know, get Jack Crowley over to La Rochelle, that would have been an incredible move for, for everyone. It would have been fascinating to see how it works out. But Luke is right. Like, all of a sudden, Jack Crowley's over La Rochelle, living in a beautiful part of the world. And he's going, actually, you know what? I think I might just stay here. And all of a sudden, then it doesn't really work out that he's not coming back into mm -hmm. the Irish system. So... It's hard, like it's not a black and white. It isn't. Of. And look, there, there are plenty of examples of guys. I, I, I think lots of the people that I would have been uh, that we've kind of mentioned there, um, they probably weren't going at their peak. I would think Scott Penny is a guy who is kind of coming into his peak. Like he look, he looks like a brilliant player to me. I've obviously voiced concerns about which are fairly, you know, I think like most people would probably be thinking the same thing. He just is undersized, even though you get these idiots saying that he's not. Like you meet the guy in person compared to the other guys there, he is smaller. Not to have it like he's still an unbelievable rugby player, but he'll never really know. He could he could have a massive impact in one of the other provinces. I think, um, you know, I I would still feel that it's better to be having a shot and not dying wondering uh, in another province than wonder like hoping for injuries in Leinster. That that that'd be that'd be my view on things. If I was sitting in that position, that's what I would have done, and and that's the only way I can really. I'm finding it hard to empathise with people and put myself in the shoes of wanting to sit there and train mm -hmm. every week. I always wanted to be playing the games and I felt I should have been playing the games and if I wasn't then I, I wanted to go somewhere where I was because I knew that if I got into the game 
that I'd be able to show my wares and I back my ability against someone else in a game because it doesn't matter what you do in the training mm -hmm. pitch. Like there is so many players you come up against who are unbelievable in training, but when it comes to the matches, just don't. They're just no shows. So you, that's that's where it counts. No one cares about training. They don't. I think that's why you have to admire someone like Ben Healy, who's going away to Scotland, oh, made his debut last weekend, yeah. and he's going. Well, I'm good enough to play international rugby. I'm not going to play it here. He's gone away. He's going to leave Munster at the end of the season and join Edinburgh. And as much as Munster fans might be disappointed to see him go, like I just admired the guy for backing mm. his his ambition and his talent. But so. even you think it, like Munster's actually had a few. Like I would say Niall Rowan was was was, mm. was a, had a big impact down there. I would say Joey Carby, but despite injury, is actually worked out. The injury thing hasn't worked out. But Conway, actually, Conway, like Conway, Conway Felix Murphy. Jones. Johnny Murphy there's loads of guys yeah. there is plenty Tyke of examples of it having worked Tyke Burns Tyke Burns yeah, yeah. no I know but Tyke Burns he's the Scarlet he he's the Scarlet yeah, he's the Scarlet <laughs> but he went to the Scarlet <laughs> but he went to the Scarlet he, he did that he took yeah, the brave move and it yeah. took out look he is yeah. almost indispensable to this Irish team now and certainly to Munster he's indispensable so I, I would say you know we've got to be cautious about that mindset about you know guys moving and saying oh well you know it hasn't always worked out because there's probably loads of examples of it having worked out of people who maybe moved a little bit younger and, and were brave a little bit earlier whereas I think maybe the ones who, who were going mm, do you know what? I'm not getting the Irish team at the point, uh, now they were probably waning anyway like mm -hmm. there's a reason Leinster let those guys go even if they were around about the Irish team because they saw someone else come below top and that guy's better it goes back to our very the, the point we made at the very start of this uh, chat that the cream will rise to the crops. So like your yeah. Ty Byrne went away to the Scarlets, but like his talent eventually shone true, and now look how important he is. So I think I think that applies to the twenty spares to yeah, kind of round off that mm. rabbit hole. Okay, just to finish it off, then when you look back on this twenty twenty three Grand Slam campaign in what ten years time, obviously leaving the World Cup aside because we don't know what happens. How will you remember? Like what will stand out to you? Um, performance wise and stuff like that, I think the the game against France was just exceptional I think it was so important that Ireland beat that French team because it was the last kind of unchecked box for Andy Farrell in terms of you know if they weren't beating them at home could they expect to if they meet them in a World Cup quarterfinal so I think that was a real big psychological thing but to me the thing that will stand out the most uh, apart from the chaos in Murrayfield as well is being on the pitch at the end and that's just from a selfish personal point of view um, it was just remarkable like really unique and like I said it was one of the I never take this job like for granted but that was one of the real real perks like getting to sort of see the emotion on supporters faces the players faces uh, so yeah that will I think that will stand it's out it's angle isn't it the pitch is, is uh, it's just incredible like, it's, I mean, we, it's we a might, new experience we might like, not never good. get down to the pitch again like you know what I mean and it's such a, it might seem like such a small thing but I can guarantee you if any supporter who was listening to this watching at home had the vantage point where I have like it was real spine thing try, like, try playing a game in the middle yeah, of oh, oh, yeah. it's, it's the best experience yeah. you'll ever it's I can only imagine that's what I mean that's yeah yeah it's after the game is great but like in the middle of it mm. like when it's a cauldron it's the, it's the most amazing I wish everyone who loves sport got, mm -hmm. to, got to do one moment at the top level under pressure like and see how quick it all happens and everything it's that, amazing that's basically what I'm saying the next like the closest I got was <laughs> <laughs> still great though like, but it is it gives you a different perspective about how like it's almost like I remember my first cap it's almost like an outer body experience mm. I remember catching I think the first kickoff came to me and I kicked it and I, I was I remember Pacific like, Islands that one I, I think I kicked it out and I remember being like Jesus, like that was like an out of body experience. I, like, it's like I had no control. Like I was like, so I've been kicking a ball like this for since I'm five years old. I've been practicing a torpedo kick, and I remember catching it going. I, I don't know how to like my, is my body work. It was weird. Uh, now I was pretty young doing it, so maybe other guys haven't got the same experience. But I remember thinking, Jesus, this is like in Lansdowne Road, packed. Mm -hmm. But it is an amazing experience. I'm glad you got to get, get a taste of it. You know? Yeah. Give you the last word then. How do, how do you sum up Grand Slam 2023? Um. I think it was just so comp. I was 
the bit that stands out to me is kind of the comprehensive nature of it. I thought it had to be From the first everything. quarter against Wales, I just knew they were winning the Grand Slam. Uh, <laughs> I, did, I don't know if I felt that way because I was a bit nervous at Scotland. Um, I still thought we'd win it, weirdly enough, but I thought it would still be two or three points. I, and it was probably down to I just thought Scotland would capitulate. I'm way too arrogant about Irish rugby to think we would have lost. Uh, you're, you're, sorry, it sounds like I'm more like the Rhodes and you're like, <laughs> you're like Keen. Yeah, no, look, I think what I liked is that I, th- I thought we saw a bit of everything. I thought we saw the team in adversity. I thought we saw the team on top and punishing teams. That's always a nice thing to see in your team as well, like, and good teams like that. Fran- that that French match, they were on top, but they punished them when they ha- when they got the opportunities. Uh, didn't play well against England, but got the job done. Um, the Welsh one, they were on top for the like they just they were so that was so comprehensive. Uh, we, we saw all the people in the different positions. We saw the coaching staff. I think they were obviously performed really well under pressure at Murrayfield. That was very very impressive. I think so. Um, it sounds like a weird thing to say, but it's more the whole. The whole package, I think, of the Six Nations is what I found most pleasing because I think, um, you know, all the things that you'll experience a couple, you know, for for 10, 15 weeks of World Cup preparation and World Cup itself, I feel like they've dealt with loads of the things that they'll have to do with if things go wrong or things go right. And I thought they dealt with everything really, really well. So that was the most pleasing aspect of it. It's probably a crappy answer, but it's the genuine one. So, um, yeah. Hopefully now we just get that uh, a bit of luck heading into that six nation. I think the, the injuries are kind of the, the, the key part for me. I think that's the only thing that will stop us at the moment. So. Well, I'd like to thank Luke and Keane for joining me on this special Grand Slam episode of the Left Wing Podcast. We will be back next week with another show looking ahead to the Champions Cup action. And in the meantime, you can subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or listen on independent.ie. So until next time, thanks for listening and goodbye. The Six Nations on the Left Wing Podcast. Rate, review and follow the show on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This is an Irish independent podcast.